Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 24 to 30. And from there, that is Jesus, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word now, we ask that by your spirit you would speak to us. Give us understanding of your word, but also, Lord, may your word produce in us faith, confidence in Jesus, a deep trust in him, and a deep treasuring of who he is and what he does. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm guessing that most of you in this room know of someone in your life that you would just consider to be a person of faith. Someone that is just an example of faith and trust in God. That no matter what comes their way, no matter what situation is thrown at them, no matter what circumstance they go through, whether it's, it's joy-filled or whether it's filled with sorrow... They are constantly confident in Jesus. They just have this this trust in him, this this persistence that he is going to keep his word. Probably many of you know someone like that. There's probably a person that comes to your mind off the top of your head at this very moment. And sometimes you can even find those individuals frustrating because when you're going through something, they will often give you simple answers which you don't like, like just trust the Lord. But they really mean that because they've lived life and they've realized that all of their experience has testified to the fact that all they truly need to do is trust the Lord. Well, I think the, the woman we encounter in this story is one of those individuals who are an example of faith, a deep trust in Jesus despite the fact that she doesn't even know him that well. So last week we we saw that the true nature of defilement is from within, not from without, right? So Jesus has this confrontation with the Pharisees in in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, and he confronts them over their hypocrisy, right? They come to him questioning him and saying, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands? Why, why do they not follow the tradition of the elders? And Jesus confronts them and shows, listen, you guys are hypocrites. You're self-righteous, you're legalistic in your practices because you're so concerned about your traditions, you're so concerned about external cleanliness that you've neglected the greater matters of the law, that is, internal holiness. They're committed to their ritual purity, but they are unclean on the inside. 
And he tells his disciples that, that what makes one unclean isn't what comes from outside of a person. It's not what you eat. It's, it's not the dirt on your hands. It's not what you drink. No, no. It's what comes from within a person. And so Jesus has this un- encounter about unclean and clean. And, and he focuses his attention. He focuses their attention on that which is internal. The cleanliness of the heart. And Mark, of course, Um, summarizes or basically concludes based upon what Jesus said that he made all foods clean at that point or he declared all foods clean. And now after this encounter with the Pharisees, Jesus has another encounter. But with this, this time it's with a Gentile woman who by all definition would have been considered ceremonially unclean. Now, what I want us to do this morning is to focus on this woman and her interaction with Jesus. This encounter that Jesus has with this woman, I think, reveals in some aspect the true nature of faith. What it means to truly trust and believe in Jesus. And so I want to spend this morning looking at what it means or what the true nature of faith means. So the first thing that I want us to see is this, is that desperation is sometimes necessary for us to come to Jesus in faith. Desperation is sometimes necessary for us to come to Jesus in faith. In verse 24, we're told that Jesus departs from where he was and he goes to the region of of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this was considered Gentile territory. It's the place of the unclean, according to the Jews. And while he's there, he enters a house. Now, we're not sure whose house it was, but he goes there with the intention of of not actually having anyone know that he's there. Yet, as we see from this passage, he was unable to hide. For what reason, we don't know. Most likely, his fame had already spread in some form into this region based upon the fact that this woman already had heard about him. But despite Jesus wanting no one to know his whereabouts, there is this woman who finds out. As we read in verse 25, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now how she found out, we don't know. But what we see here is a woman in desperation. Her daughter has an unclean spirit, a demon. And it seems she's at her wit's end. She comes and falls down at the feet of a Jewish religious leader. Now, if you understand the historical context, that's a (laughs) no-no. A respectable Jewish leader should never associate with an unclean Gentile woman. But she was desperate. And despite Jesus being a Jewish man, but also a religious leader, she comes to him. She comes to him and falls on her knees before him. She longs to see her child delivered. Now, how many things had she already tried to deliver her daughter? We're not sure. But like any decent mother, she would do everything necessary to try and help her child. See, the fact that she turns to Jesus 
shows just how desperate she was. He was considered in some sense a Jewish rabbi and she was a Gentile woman. There's no way that those two would ever interact. But the fact that she had the boldness to come before him shows just how desperate she was. She probably had heard reports about him and, and the miracles he had done. And, but, but it's not like she had this deep knowledge of him. She definitely wouldn't have followed his ministry up until this point. But if she had heard reports about this miracle worker, maybe she had dreamed that, that this Jesus figure would, would appear in the region that she lived. And so she gets wind of this news and immediately comes to him and falls down at his feet in desperation. See, sometimes it's desperation that God will use to bring us to Jesus. This Gentile woman probably never would have come to Jesus unless she was placed in the situation that she was in. And there are many people who can testify, probably even some of you in this room, that can testify to this experience in your own life. You were living your, your life safe and secure, no real concerns or problems, and then all of a sudden your circumstances drastically change. You did everything in your own strength to, to solve that circumstance, that difficulty, but in the end you were unsuccessful. And it was at that point where, where you looked outside of yourselves, yourself, and it was at that point with, with such little knowledge that, that you fell down on your knees and cried to the heavens for help. And to your amazement, the heavens responded. God in his mercy heard your cry and he intervened in your life. See, this is often where faith begins for many people. It ought not remain there. It ought to be far deeper and more meaningful than simply desperation. But often at times, it does begin there. It begins with a cry of desperation. Faith begins with that kind of cry for many people. See, this woman had very little knowledge of Jesus, but she was desperate. And she had a small glimmer of hope that this man, who she barely knew, could actually meet her need. And so sometimes desperation is necessary in order to get us on our knees before Jesus. Secondly, persistent faith is what Jesus looks for. Persistent faith is what Jesus looks for. She falls on her knees before Jesus in desperation, but this woman isn't merely desperate, she's persistent. Look at verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this unclean Gentile woman begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now the, the tense of this verb begged tells us that she didn't just beg once, but that she was persistent in her begging. She was continually persisting and pleading with Jesus to act on behalf of her demon-possessed child. You know, it's interesting, when you, when you read the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, often you'll see that, that the, the narratives draw attention to those who are persistent in their pleas to Jesus. Jesus often, in the gospel, rewards 
the persistent. You think of Mark chapter 2, 1 to 12, right? The healing of the paralytic. There's this huge crowd in the way of these four men carrying their paralyzed friend. And and there's no way to get to Jesus in the house. So what do they do? Well, instead of giving up, they, they remove the roof and they lower their friend to Jesus. They were persistent. They didn't throw in the towel. And because of that, Jesus sees their faith. And he not only forgives, heals the man, but he forgives the man of his sin. Or you think of, of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. He heard that, that Jesus was walking by and, and he begins to, to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, what did they do in response to this blind man crying out? Well, they rebuked him and they told him to be silent. And what does he, he do in response to their rebuke? He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was persistent. And Jesus responded to his persistence and caused him to see. Or you think of the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, 1-8, where an unrighteous judge grants her justice simply because he's tired of her persistence. And Jesus concludes, how much more will God, who is righteous, grant justice to his elect children? See, this is the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. This is the kind of faith that he honors and rewards. And no, just because we're persistent doesn't mean that Jesus will give us what we think we need. But nevertheless, he is looking to see whether our faith is truly persistent. You see, it's interesting that in in Matthew's account of this story, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus actually doesn't respond to her right away, which explains here in in Mark the, the persistence in begging. He actually ignores her at first, according to Matthew 15. Is that because he's indifferent to her? No, absolutely not. Rather, in this moment, he's testing her faith. He wants to reveal the true nature of her faith. Not only does he ignore her at first, but his response to her at first glance seems to be indifferent and even offensive. Yet she doesn't give up. She doesn't throw in the towel. She only persists further, reasoning with Jesus, imploring Jesus to show mercy, to act on behalf of her daughter. Does this describe your faith? Would someone define your faith as one of persistence? One that perseveres even when it seems like Jesus is indifferent. This is the kind of faith that Jesus seeks to create in us. And this is often why he doesn't respond right away. This is often why we think Jesus doesn't care. It's because he wants to see our faith grow. He wants to see it expand. He wants us to persist in our faith, in our coming to him, in our trusting in him. He's looking for persistent faith. Not only is he looking for persistent faith, but we see here that faith begins with a humbling of oneself. That's my third point. Faith begins with a humbling of oneself. In fact, 
I would argue you're only ever going to be persistent if your faith is truly marked by humility. You see, she, she isn't just persistent, but she approaches Jesus and responds to Jesus with humility. Her faith is defined by humility. She has a humble faith. She comes to Jesus on her knees, begging him to intervene. And how does Jesus respond? Well, in all honesty, he responds quite rudely and offensively. Look at verse 27. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, at first glance, Jesus seems to be indifferent, even rude, to this unclean Gentile woman. He basically calls her an unclean dog. What is Jesus doing here? This doesn't seem to reflect the Jesus we've learned about up until this point in Mark's gospel. The one who who saw the crowds and, and saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and so he had compassion on them and he not only taught them but then he fed them with, with the five loaves and the two fishes. The one who, who pitied the leper and touched him and made him clean. This doesn't seem to be the Jesus that we've read about up until this point. Unless Jesus has an underlying purpose in everything that he says to her. You see, is it possible that he wants to make a point not only to her, but also to his disciples who were present? You see, in Matthew's account, we're told that the disciples begged Jesus to send her away. So she begs Jesus to heal her daughter. The disciples beg Jesus to send her away. She's an unclean Gentile, for goodness sakes, Jesus. But Jesus is going to teach his disciples a lesson. He's going to make it abundantly clear that this unclean Gentile woman has a faith that not even the disciples have, and definitely the religious leaders don't have. So Jesus tells her in response to her request, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So here in this statement, Jesus makes a contrast between the children and the dogs. Now the children, of course, is referring to the Jews. They're the covenant people of God, his chosen people. They are his children. The Gentiles do not have that privilege up until this point. They do not have that privilege. They do not have the benefits of the Old Covenant. They were not given the law. They were not given the prophets. They were not given the writings. They don't have any of that. They are not the children, but Israel is the children. The dogs, of course, are in reference to the Gentiles. Now, this was a derogatory term used by the Jews to speak of the uncleanliness of the Gentiles. And Jesus says to her, the children need to be fed first before the Gentiles. And this is most likely Jesus alluding to the fact that the old covenant privileges belong to the Jews. The miracles of Jesus are for the children of Israel. But the fact that Jesus says the children need to be fed first alludes to the fact that soon enough, the Gentiles will also be able to feed. 
You see, this here is in some sense referring to God's order of redemption. As Paul puts it in Romans 1.16, right? To the Jew first, then to the Gentiles, the gospel of Jesus came. See, Jesus is saying, this is not the time for the Gentiles. As he says, for it, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, he's doing this for a very specific purpose. He's saying these things for a very, very specific purpose. But it's, it's not right to give what belongs to Israel and give it to the unclean Gentiles. Unless, of course, with the coming of Jesus and his mission, things are about to change. And I think Jesus' encounter with this woman and her response to Jesus is evidence that things are soon to change. That redemption and salvation is, is going to very soon stretch beyond the borders of Israel and will penetrate into Gentile territory, which was always what God intended when he promised Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. You see, this encounter with this Gentile woman, I think, is a prophetic foreshadowing of what is soon to happen in the near future. You see, the majority of Israel is going to reject Jesus as the gospel unfolds. But after Jesus' resurrection, the majority of people who come to faith in the Messiah, in Jesus, are not the Jews, but the Gentiles. Israel must be fed first. Then the Gentiles will feed. So how does she respond to Jesus' apparent offensive statement? Well, surprisingly, she responds with humility. She responds with a humble faith. She picks up on Jesus' language when he uses the word dog. You see, instead of using the Greek word that referred to a dirty street dog... He instead uses a word that referred to a household dog. It's still derogatory in nature, but he's intentional with this word. And she seems to figure it out. Any household dog would, would often sit under the table and eat the crumbs that would fall to the ground. And in her humility, she embraces this identity and reasons with Jesus that even the dogs are able to at least eat the crumbs of the children. That is, even the dogs are able to experience a level of blessing, though they're not in the same level as the children. See, she could have been offended by Jesus' words. She could have stormed off in anger saying, how dare you call me a dog? But she didn't. She humbled herself, acknowledging that she was unclean. And yet she knew that Jesus could still give her the crumbs of mercy. Listen, Jesus will be offensive to you unless your heart is humble before him. Unless you humble yourself, you'll never come to Jesus. You will be offended by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus does not hold back in telling every single one of us that our hearts are evil and defiled. And we need him in order 
for our hearts to be changed. See, this woman's faith captures for us the true nature of biblical faith. It's a faith that declares that the crumbs are enough for me. It's a faith that that says, I don't deserve more than the crumbs. It's a faith that acknowledges that I'm unclean, even deserving of being called an unclean Gentile dog. You see, as long as you think you deserve a seat at Jesus' table, you'll never want to be at Jesus' table. It was Augustine who said, no one, No one enters the kingdom of Jesus except by humility. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He never gives us just crumbs. He delights to give us far more than crumbs. He gives this woman, this woman's daughter, freedom from demonic oppression. He grants the forgiveness of sins. He heals our brokenness. He gives us eternal life. And most importantly, he gives himself to us so that we would never hunger nor thirst again. Jesus never gives his children just crumbs. But we ought to have an attitude that says, the crumbs are enough for me. See, it's really important we see that that Jesus doesn't say these offensive words because he didn't care or was indifferent towards her. No, no. What he's doing is he's drawing out her faith. He's, He's drawing out the nature of her faith. He's testing and revealing the beauty of her faith before his disciples. As Matthew Henry stated regarding this passage, where Christ knows the faith of poor supplicants to be strong, He sometimes delights to try it, that is, test it, and put it to the stretch. You see, his disciples are seeing before their very eyes this unclean Gentile woman displaying a faith that not even they have. And what is the result of this humble faith that she expresses? Well, Jesus says to her in verse 29, And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. It's not that her statement somehow earned her Jesus's miracle. It's not that simply because she said the right thing, Jesus now rewarded her. No, no, no. Rather, her statement revealed her authentic, persistent, humble faith. And Jesus, in his mercy and compassion, Granted her requests. So true faith begins with persistence and and sometimes even desperation. But we also see it begins here with humility. But there's one last thing we need to see about the nature of faith in this passage. And that is this. Faith trusts in the trustworthiness of Jesus' words. Faith trusts in the trustworthiness of Jesus' words. Look at verse 30. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What's so significant about those words? Well, Jesus tells her in verse 29 that the demon has left her daughter, but she never saw it happen as her daughter's not with her. She had to leave Jesus trusting that what Jesus said was true. 
She had to go home believing that when she got home, she would find her child delivered from the demonic. In other words, she had to take Jesus at his word. And she does. She returns home and finds her daughter delivered. You see, her response to Jesus' words reveals that she has a deep trust in Jesus, his character, and specifically his words. You see, many of the other encounters that, that Jesus has with the people in the Gospel of Mark, he performs the miracle before their eyes. They're able to see the miracle. But that doesn't happen here. She depends solely on his words. She leaves trusting in not what she saw, but in what she heard. She believes him based not on the visible evidence, but on the trustworthiness of who he is. And this, of course, is the call upon every Christian. We are people who walk by faith and not by sight. As Jesus said to Doubting Thomas, blessed is the one who believes yet does not see. How about you? Does this describe your faith? A sheer, rich confidence in the words of Jesus. See, maybe you're that person who refused to trust in Jesus due to the supposed lack of evidence for his life and specifically his miracles and resurrection. But the reality is there will never be enough evidence for you to believe, even though there is a lot of evidence. See, when people say to me, there, there's not enough evidence to, to really trust and believe in Jesus, well, I'll respond and say, well, how much have you actually looked into the evidence? And of course, more often than not, they've rarely looked into the evidence. They're merely using that argument as an excuse. See, the reality is, is that evidence isn't the main issue for why people believe and don't believe. I could sit down with you for hours and, and share with you about, about the trustworthiness of, of the Bible, the historical evidence for the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I could give you the philosophical arguments for God's existence. And though some of that information will, will help you, maybe address some of your doubts, I think it's good to, to know those kinds of things. In the end, none of that information will change your heart. See, the Pharisees and, and many within Israel saw and beheld Jesus' miracles. And they still refused to believe in him. This woman did not see Jesus' miracles, and yet she believed. See, they didn't believe not because of a lack of evidence, but because the issue for them was the sinful heart of humanity that plagues every single one of us. See, there comes a point for each of us where you have to wrestle, not just with the evidence, but with Jesus and his words. You have to wrestle with whether or not this man, based upon the scriptures, is trustworthy, but whether or not his words are reliable. There comes a point where you will have to decide whether you trust Jesus or not. But don't decide that without first hearing his words. It's amazing to me the amount of people who have come to a conclusion about Jesus and yet they've never picked up the Bible and even read the four Gospels that are about him. 
Just do that before you decide what you want to do with Jesus. See, this Gentile woman trusted his words and returned home to find her daughter delivered from the demonic. Her faith displayed a deep trust in the trustworthiness of Jesus' words. But there's one final thing that I want us to think about as followers of Jesus from this passage. Why does Mark place this story here in his account? What's Mark trying to convey to us? What does he want us to see? Well, of course, he wants us to see this this woman's incredible faith, but it's more than that. Remember, just before this encounter, Jesus had a confrontation with the Pharisees. He calls them out on their hypocrisy, their, their legalism, their concern for external cleanliness, and their neglect of internal holiness. He tells the disciples that, that purity and defilement isn't about what you eat or drink. It's, it's a matter of the heart. See, Jesus says that it's, it's out of the heart that all these immoralities come that, that plague humanity. In other words... Jesus is basically saying that both Jew and Gentile are defiled by sin and both are in desperate need of Christ's cleansing. You see, Mark holds up this woman as an example of Jesus' teaching from verse 1 through to 23. She is ceremonially, externally unclean according to Jewish law. If one of those Pharisees came across this woman, they would have turned their face from her and walked the other way. She is ceremonially unclean. Yet because of her faith, she is accepted and embraced by Jesus. See, the Pharisees and the disciples would have looked at her with a level of contempt. They would have viewed her as less than, for she was an unclean Gentile. They would have considered her a dog. They would have saw her as inferior and incapable of being accepted by God or pleasing to God. But Jesus not only accepts her, but he commends her for her faith. In Matthew 15, he says to her, great is your faith. I think this is a warning for us as followers of Jesus. See, we too can fall prey to that same attitude that the disciples and the Pharisees had. To look on people with a moral superiority. To think there are certain people that that are way beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy. There's no place for them in the kingdom of Jesus. We might be some of, who might be some of the people in our lives that we consider unclean and unworthy of Jesus' favor? Who might be the people that we look upon with self-righteous contempt? Maybe it's people who hold to a different political view than us. Maybe it's the LGBTQ community. Maybe it's our Muslim friends. Who is it that we look upon with self-righteous contempt and we, we, we tend to judge them for their uncleanliness, forgetting the fact that we were once unclean? See, we need to remember 
that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners. He came to save and have mercy on sinners like you and me, like people with opposing political views, like people in the LGBT community, like people of other religious faith. He came to save those kinds of people. We need to remember that if it were not for the mercy of God in Jesus, each of us would be drowning in our own filth and sin. See, the kingdom of Jesus is made up of unclean sinners who have humbly come before Jesus begging for mercy. And may we never think that we are citizens in his kingdom for any other reason but his mercy. Let's pray. Father, give us the kind of faith that we read about here. Help us to have a persistent faith, a humble faith. Help us, Lord, to trust in Jesus' words above everything else. And Father, forgive us for any moment, any times in which we have self-righteously looked upon others, viewing them as unclean, viewing them as, as incapable of receiving your mercy. May we realize that you are the God who is able to save the most wretched sinner. And we ask, Lord, that you would do that for the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.